There was a psychologist uh, named Jonathan Hayde, and he was teaching a class one time to a bunch of students, and he posed a hypothetical question. This is what he said. He said, imagine that you are handed a script of your newborn child's entire life. Better yet, you're given an eraser in five minutes to edit out whatever you want. You read that she will have a learning disability in grade school. Reading, which comes easily for some kids, will be laborious for her. In high school, she'll make a great circle of friends, but then fall into a bad crowd and make some really poor decisions. After high school, she'll, she'll get into her preferred college, but while there, she'll lose a leg in a car accident. Uh, following that, she'll go through a difficult depression. A few years later, she'll get a great job and then lose that job in an economic downturn. She'll get married, but then go through the grief of separation. With this script of your child's life in five minutes to edit it, what would you erase? Wouldn't you want to take out all the stuff that would cause them pain? If you could erase every failure, disappointment, and period of suffering, would that be a good thing? Would that cause them to grow into the best version of themselves? Is it possible that we actually need adversity and setbacks, maybe even trauma, to reach the fullest potential of development and growth? And we've heard that type of thing before, right? That we need struggles and difficulties to grow in life because if we never struggle, we'll end up being really shallow people. Well, I think most of us, if we were honest this morning, we'd probably be okay with being pretty shallow people if it meant that we never had to go through any kind of difficulty and stress and trouble. Of course, questions like that are just hypothetical though, right? We, we don't have a choice. We will go through times of great trouble. The question is, how will we handle it? I think that one of the great spiritual needs of our time is to learn how to handle the trouble that comes into our life. And we're going to talk about that over the next five weeks. Uh, several months ago, we started a study through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We took a break from that study a couple different times and focused on some other things in God's Word, but today we're heading back to 1 Samuel, and we're going to finish up this book. Uh, we're starting this new series of sermons called The Struggle is Real, and you've heard that saying before, right? It's just a saying that acknowledges that life is difficult, that we all have struggles, we all have difficulties that we have to face and experience every day, and so we're going to look at five real-life issues and struggles that we all face and we're going to get some wisdom from the life of David about how to handle those struggles and how not to handle those struggles. So we're going to talk about things like anger and revenge. What do you do when you want nothing more than to get back at a person who's hurt you deeply? We're going to talk about what to do when you have to confront someone. How do you have a really difficult conversation with a person that needs to hear some criticism? On the other side of that, we're going to talk about how to receive criticism. What if somebody has to have a really painful conversation with you? Well, today as we get into this series, we're going to talk about what to do when you just find yourself in a jam. What do you do when you just find yourself in a, in a really difficult spot of trouble? How do you handle that? You know, the, the last section of the book of 1 Samuel chronicles David's fugitive years. If you remember the background here, David has been anointed as the next king of Israel, but he hasn't yet taken the throne. Uh, Saul is still the king of Israel, and Saul is in the process of losing the kingdom. Because of his rebellion against God, his disobedience toward God, God is in the process of removing Saul as king, and Saul hates it. Saul is, is not happy about this at all. Saul has become very, very jealous of David. He's actually tried to kill David. 
And so there was a period of David's life where he is literally running for his life. He talked about trouble and, and stress. And this period of, of David's life is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you make your way there? 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. And while you're uh, <coughs> excuse me, making your way there, I'm going to actually read uh, the entirety of chapter 21. Just 15 verses long. So listen to what it says. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I sent out, set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of the Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their presence, or while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Now what's amazing to me in this story is that this took place thousands of years ago, and yet the struggle and the trouble that David goes through is actually very similar to what we face in our lives. Uh, think about this. We face physical trouble just like David did. Now here, here's David, and he's on the run. He's, he's homeless. He's defenseless. He's hungry. And, of course, his life is in danger. People are out to get him. And, and not in the exact same way, of course, but we go through similar stress. So maybe for you, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a financial stress. Maybe for you, there, there's just more bills at the end of the month than there is money. And of course, that is a great source of stress for you. Or maybe for you, the, the trouble is actually physical in nature. Maybe you are going through a health problem right now. Maybe somebody that you love is going through a, a difficult struggle with their health, and it's causing great anxiety. In a lot of ways, David is going through something very similar. And then not only do we face physical trouble, but we also face relational trouble. And again, we, we see that with David. David is away from his wife. He's away from his best friend, Jonathan. He has such a dysfunctional relationship with the king that the king is actually trying to kill him. And of course, we all know what relational stress is like as well, don't we? Whether it be somebody at work who makes your life difficult, 
whether it's a stressful situation in your family right now, our relationships and interactions with other people can cause great anxiety in our lives. And then, of course, we all face emotional and spiritual trouble as well. Imagine the emotional toll that this all must have been taking on David. Imagine the spiritual stress that he was experiencing this as he tried to make sense of what was going on. You know, not too long ago, the the prophet Samuel had come to David and anointed him as the next king of Israel. And instead of David enjoying life as a king, enjoying life in the palace, David is running for his life like a criminal. When there are situations in our lives that cause us great stress and anxiety, man, it can take an emotional toll on us. Oftentimes, it, it can take a spiritual toll. It's like, God, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you want. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, but, but God, what's happening in my life right now just doesn't make sense. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can wonder, man, has, has God abandoned me? Has God left me? This is common. This is not fun. And some of you are in the middle of these types of trouble right now. And so the question is, what, what do you do when you go through times of great stress and trouble? Well, what we see in this particular passage is that there's really two different ways to approach trouble. Two ways to approach trouble, and they're modeled to us here by David and Saul. Now think about this. Saul is facing stress just like David is. Saul knows that the kingdom is being taken away from him. He knows that he's lost influence and and clout with the people of Israel and even his own soldiers and men. But Saul handled his stress in a much different way than David did. One of the ways that Saul handled his trouble is by being paranoid. He handled it with paranoia. Look at uh, the next chapter here, chapter 22. Look at what it says in verse 6. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing at his side. Saul has a spear in his hand. And this just seems to be a a theme with Saul. Saul always has a spear in his hand. Uh, Several chapters earlier, we looked at this uh, a little over a month ago, but David was playing the harp for Saul, and Saul, in a fit of rage, throws his spear at David. He tries to kill him. A couple chapters after that, Saul throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan. Now, I think the fact that Saul always had this weapon with him is evidence of his paranoia. Saul was a paranoid Man, he realizes that, that his life is completely out of control. The thing that he wanted most and found his value in was being taken away from him, and he wasn't going to let it go without a fight. Listen, beware of that type of attitude. When things in your life are, are, are going difficult, when things are tough, beware of thinking that everything is wrong and everyone is out to get you. I could fall into that trap sometimes. And maybe I'll get some, some criticism about something. If I'm not careful, I can start to think, man, everybody's mad at me. Everything's going wrong. Everybody's disgruntled. I can become paranoid. You also notice here with Saul, that Saul is full of self-pity. He's full of self-pity. Notice how the passage goes on in verse, excuse me, chapter 22, verse 7. He said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you all Give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. 
Saul's troubles here have led him to have a little pity party for himself. Saul is stressed out, and so he thinks that everybody should be focusing on him. You know people like this? They got some problem, they're going through some difficult time, and they're upset that you aren't more focused on them. You know what that is? Uh, That is an inward focus. It's an inward focus, and this is what we see with Saul. Saul is turning inward with his fears. Instead of looking outside of himself to deal with his troubles, Saul has gone inward, and you know what it does? It makes him vulnerable to evil. In chapter 22, Saul goes to the town of Nob, where David had been helped by one of the priests. And Saul commands his soldiers to kill all of the priests in that town, and they refuse. Imagine that. Saul has lost so much influence with his men that they won't even obey the orders of the king. And so notice what happens here. Chapter 22, verse 18. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That's a reference to the priest. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priest, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Saul is responsible for killing everything in this town. His paranoia, his self-pity, his inward focus has led him to do this incredible evil. Now what's interesting about this is just a few chapters earlier, God had told Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. Remember them? They were this group of, of terrible, evil, guilty people. And Saul didn't do it. He disobeyed God. And yet here, he's responsible for killing an entire town of innocent people. When we look inward during our times of trouble, when we don't look to God, we are capable of crazy things. Now, I think this all goes back to our idolatry. How much of our stress comes from idols? You know what an idol is, right? An an idol is something in your life that you've elevated above God. It's something that you think you need besides God. And so for Saul, his idol was the kingdom. This is where he found his self-worth and his value and his importance. And when that kingdom was threatened, well, he was willing to do whatever it took to keep it, including blatant disobedience against God. I think the question here for, for us is, is this us? And we may not do something nearly as severe as Saul, but when you go through trouble, when you are stressed out, do you go inward? Do you become inwardly focused? There's another way to approach your trouble, and that way is represented here by David. David handled his troubles not by looking inside himself, but by looking outside himself to God. Now, David is not perfect in this passage. You may have noticed David David lies. Uh, He bends the truth when he comes to Nob. He says that the uh, the king sent Saul on a mission. That obviously wasn't true. The Bible doesn't condone his dishonesty. It just says that's what David did. But while David was not perfect, his response to his own trouble is a godly response. What we see is that David handled trouble with the knowledge that God was involved. David knew that one of the ways that Saul might try to get to him was through his parents. And so David basically wants to get his parents out of harm's way and and hide them from Saul. He, He wants to put them in a witness protection program of sorts. So notice what it says here, chapter 22, verse 3. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn 
what God will do for me? He says, I need to know that my parents will be safe until God shows me what he's going to do, until God works on my behalf and delivers me from this trouble. Now here's David, and he's running for his life, and everything in his life is in major upheaval, but he has this confidence that God is for him, that God is active in his trouble. And I wonder this morning if, if you believe that. Do you believe that God is for you? Listen, if you are in Christ this morning, if you're a Christian, you've turned from your sin, you've stepped over that line of faith, you've said, Jesus, my, my life is yours. God is for you. And God is working on your behalf. Now that doesn't mean that, that God is going to promise to resolve your issue and problem in the way that you would choose. And it doesn't mean that he's going to promise to resolve your problem and trouble on your timeline, but make no mistake about it, he's active. He's, he's there. He's for you. You know, one of the great things about this passage is that 1 Samuel tells the story of what's happening to David at this time. But the Psalms give us an inside glimpse as to what David is feeling at this time. And Psalm chapter 56 is a psalm that David wrote during his fugitive years. And it's a glimpse inside of David's head. One of the things that we see about David is that David is, is honest before God in the Psalms. David is not whitewashing how he's feeling. Listen to what it says in, in Psalm 56. <clears throat> Be merciful to me, O God, for men pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanders are attacking me in their pride. All day long they twist my words. They're always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. I love the fact that David doesn't have a problem being honest with God. He's essentially saying, God, this, this stinks. I, I hate this. I hate that I have to run for my life like an outlaw. I think sometimes as Christians, we fall into this trap of thinking that we always have to put on a, a smiley face, even when we're struggling. We don't see that with David. David is brutally honest with God about how he's feeling. And I think that's a, I think that's a healthy thing. Now, we saw that Saul was very honest about how he was feeling as well. He had a big pity party for himself. The difference between Saul and David is that David went to the only one who could truly help him in his trouble. He's honest before God. Then we see here in, in Psalm 56 that David depends on God. Listen to what he goes on to say. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose words I praise, in God whose words I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? David doesn't deny his troubles, but neither does he let his troubles control him. And this is such a tough balance, but is, is this where you're at? Right now, are your troubles controlling you? They don't have to. I was talking to somebody recently who is going through a really difficult time in their life, and they, they said, you know, life is, is really, really tough right now, but man, God has been so faithful through it all. You know how people like that? And do you know how people like David can survive their trouble? Here's how. Because they understand that God is a refuge. They understand that God is a refuge. And so I want to ask that question, how is God a refuge in your trouble. When you find yourself in, in some kind of a jam, in some kind of a problem, in some kind of a difficulty, in some kind of a really stressful situation, and you're not sure what to do, how is God a refuge for you during that time? What we see here is that there are some things that God 
provides for us in the midst of our trouble. Here's what he provides. First of all, God provides physically. God provides physically. David is hungry when he arrives at this city of of Nob. What does God do? Well, through the priest, he provides food for David and his men. For the last three weeks, that dumb thing has been flying around, ruining the mood. If it gets close to you, swat it with a bullet or something. What does God do here? God provides for David and his men physically. He he provides food through the priest. Uh, David is defenseless. He He doesn't have a sword. What does God do? He provides a sword. For David. See, David's fugitive years were, were difficult and they were painful, but God provided what David needed every step of the way. And guess what? This is something that you can bank on as well. He will provide for you. Now, is God going to give you an over and abundance? Well, not necessarily, but he's faithful. He'll provide for you. And even more than physical provision, God always provides for us spiritually. See, the greatest trouble that we could ever go through is not actually physical. It's, it's spiritual trouble. Uh, you, you know the story. You, you know how this works. We had we'd alienated ourselves from God. God we'd, we'd rebelled against God. And because God is a good judge, God would be just in punishing us. Through Jesus, God provided exactly what we needed spiritually. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. And when we repent and believe in what Jesus did, Scripture says we're brought back into a relationship with God. And so that means that God can become our refuge instead of our enemy. So is God your refuge today? Have you ever turned to him for your salvation? You ever turned to God for your forgiveness of sins? Listen, you can do that right now. You can do business with God. We also see here that God is a refuge and that he gives guidance. God gives guidance. We've already looked at this verse, but in in chapter 2, verse 5, I love what David says. He says, until I learn what God will do for me. Until I learn. Who's going to teach David? Well, God is. God is going to guide David. God is going to direct him. He's going to give him wisdom throughout his trouble, and, and guess what? He will do the same for you. We're going to find out here in just a couple of chapters at the end of this book that when Saul wanted guidance in his life, he went to a sorcerer. He went to somebody who practiced witchcraft and was involved in the occult. David goes to God. Now friends, we have something even better than than David had. We have the permanent indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've just spent four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit called? He's called a counselor. And so God wants to guide you and direct you when you, need, when you need wisdom and guidance in your life. And the primary way that he does that is through his word. And so the, the simple application here is, are we in God's word? Are, 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 we, are we in God's word daily? Are we communing with him? Listen, don't not read your Bible and then ask God for wisdom and guidance. He, he wants to give it to you. He wants to do it through his word. And then finally we see here, that God is a refuge in trouble because God gives community. God gives us this. He gives us fellowship with other Christians. I love this this verse, chapter 22. Notice how it starts off in verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And listen to this. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. What an awesome picture that is. Here is David, and he's running for his life. He's going through this horribly difficult time, and all these other people that are also going through difficult times in their life, they join up with him. And together, they become this makeshift family. Isn't this a picture of what the church should look like? Churches like ours, we're not made up of people who who have it all together. We're not perfect. We, We all have struggles, and we're broken, and we're trying to make our way through life. And what an awesome gift from God that God would put us together in this community. Listen, if you're new here, and you completely and totally have your act together in your life, this is probably not going to be a great place for you. But if you are struggling to get through life, then you are in good company with this church. We are a bunch of broken people who, who have joined together, and bit by bit, we're, we're walking through life together under the authority of God. And so if you need that in your life, you have a group of people here who love you and who care for you and wanna, who want to help you. The question is, are you making use of, of this community? Are, are you sharing your trouble and your pain with us? Open yourself up. Be vulnerable. Get involved in this community here. And for those of us that are already committed and involved here, what can we do to make sure that this church is the type of place where people who don't have their act together feel comfortable? Listen, life is a life of trouble. The struggle is real for every single one of us. We all know that. But what an awesome truth that God hasn't left us alone in our trouble. He's given us himself. He's given us resources to deal with that trouble. And over the next few weeks, we're going to we're going to investigate what those resources are. So let's pray together. Father, we, uh, <clears throat> we ask you, Lord, that you would help us right now in our time of trouble. God, I, I have to imagine, I know that in this room this morning, there are some that, <laughs> that probably felt like David did in, in that psalm that we read. Just wondering where you are, wondering how come you're not answering prayers that have been prayed for years. You're seeming to be silent for some people. God, I pray that you would help us to have the confidence that your silence in our life does not mean that you are absent from our lives. Father, help us to press into Scripture. Help us to press into the community of believers that you've given us here during our times of trouble. God, we want to we see you. We want to know that you are active, that you are involved with us just as you were with David. And so even this week, Lord, for, for those of us that are walking through uh, troubled times, would, <clears throat> would you allow just even one of the promises that you've made to us in Scripture to be especially real and meaningful to us? Father, you are, are so good. We don't deserve your kindness. We don't deserve your grace. On top of promising us a a place in heaven with you. You've not left us alone in this world. So Father, I pray that we would make use of your presence this week in our lives, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through just every other spiritual resource that you've given us. God, we want to be people that, that persevere during times of difficulty and trial and 
we, we want other people to notice that during times of great stress and trouble that we were not, we were not overtaken, that we stayed strong during those times. And I pray, Father, that that would be a testimony to your goodness and faithfulness. So we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus.